remember we said that this midah, we said it's Gedolah, it's a very big midah, um, because again, not only is God giving us the time and the space uh, to do what we need to do, right, to do the negative things, and not only is he uh, holding that space for us, but now he's actually coming down and cleaning up the mess that we made. So that's kind of like really going above and beyond, uh, I guess, what you would call the call of duty. Um, so we also, just to bring us up to speed, if you remember, we also said that there's two uh, there's two levels when we do a fate, okay? There's two levels that we have to deal with. The, the, the more superficial level for which a person would generally do what we would call shuva meyira, right? Shuva out of fear, is this level of, I actually just transgressed the Ratzon Hashem, right? God told me I should or should not do something, and I went against that. So I have to deal with the consequences of that on a very basic level. And so that is what we ask for. We ask for Mechila. We're asking for a basic, just superficial level of forgiveness. Um, a deeper level of forgiveness is Slicha, okay? And that comes to help us deal with the, the secondary uh I guess, fall out from doing a chait, right? From going against Hashem's law. Not just that I'm transgressing what he asked me to do or not to do, but then we also discussed how there's consequences to that. Meaning, as we said, when I sin, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing spiritual toxins into my system, right? So somebody could drink poison and then regret it and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, but that's very nice for you that you're sorry, but you drank this poison. It's going to have an impact on you, whether you like it or not. And you're going to have to deal with that, whether it's going to, whether a person has to go through a detox or they have to get their stomach pumped or something's going to have to happen because you did, hey, because you, um, because you did something um, that caused, okay, uh, this negativity, this negative energy to enter into your, into your system. Okay, so for that we need slicha. Okay, because slicha is a level of forgiveness where not only is God like again superficially like saying, Yeah, fine, I'm okay, you right, I forgive you, but it, and this is even harder for God. See, for us, slicha is a little bit easier because somebody did something wrong and I have to get past it. But I again, I'm only seeing the external when you're talking about right? When you're talking about God, God sees the impact that that has on your neshama. Like we don't see that, right? I don't, I don't see that because it's, it's like, it's not even microscopic. It's like something that is just beyond our scope. So yes, I, I know conceptually that when I do something wrong, it's having a negative impact on my neshama, but I don't actually see that. But God actually sees, he sees that stain. And so for him to now really go that extra mile and wash that all away so that what you've done is no longer, it's no longer an issue. He's getting rid of what you've done and he's getting rid of the consequences of everything that you've done as well. That's what we call tshuva me'ahava. That's doing tshuva out of love. So this nida is really focusing on this higher level of doing tshuva out of love, okay? Because when we're doing tshuva out of love, we actually, I'm sure you've heard this before, we have the ability to actually transform, right? Something that we've done, a negative thing that we've done into something positive. Why? How does that work? Anyone know? How does Chuba Me'ala have the ability to transform a negative thing that I've done into something positive? Because what's happening? Yeah. You're learning from your mistake? Totally. Anybody? Any? You evolve as a person, like you better yourself. You become a better person yourself. For sure. 100%. Yes. But vis-a-vis my relationship with God. Yeah. A lot of times, like, we've done the focus of things, we want to feel like 
do kind of doing it part. So like in a way, like when you are withholding or are doing like what you're supposed to be doing, it's like more like more effort. Okay. I'm not sure I understand. Yeah. You're doing chuva because you want to do it, you're saying. Yeah, like you, you realize what you did was wrong. So you're doing it because you right. And why do you want to do it? Exactly. Why do you want what's the impetus for wanting to do chuva in this situation? Not because I'm scared that God's gonna like, you know, cut me down. Why am I doing chuva in this in this particular situation? To connect with us him because we love him. Right. I realize I, the, the negative consequences of my sins, right? Of what I'm doing wrong are putting barriers between me and God. I don't want there to be barriers. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't want there to be. I want to get rid of those. And so I want to do chuva because I feel this tremendous pull and connection to God. So that is how we're actually able to transform, right? I've done a sin and that sin, okay, is actually causing me to reevaluate my relationship with Hashem, right? And hopefully get myself closer to him than I was before. You understand? So that can only be accomplished really through chuva be'ava. So also one last thing we discussed Last time, and we said that with this midah, right, Hashem gives us mechila lo'ayadishaliyach. He doesn't do it through a messenger. And we said one of the ways of understanding this is that he doesn't do it on condition, right? God doesn't give us conditional um, atonement. He doesn't give us conditional forgiveness. If a person comes to him, whether they mean it or they don't mean it, or they're going to do it again or not do it again, it doesn't matter. He still gives us He still gives us forgiveness. And so we also have the ability to do the same thing. Okay, so... Let us continue. I'm not sure exactly how far we got, but I'll just zomi dagdolas or from the beginning. Does everybody have what we're up to in the book? You know, let me just let me look at it. I'll tell you exactly where we are. There's an extra over here. Okay, we are on Dafir Aleph. Okay. So as he said, this is a big mida. This the, the atonement is not done through a medium, not through a messenger. But as we said, it's done specifically directly through God. And again, he the slicha that we get is that he's erasing what we've done as though it never happened, which is pretty amazing. And again, even more so, he's making it into something positive. So what is this slicha? God is cleansing our sin. So Hashem is cleaning. Okay, this is actually a pasuk um, that is referencing the fact that Hashem is cleansing the tzo'ah, the excrement. Okay, sorry to get graphic. Of It's using this word tzo'ah in the pasuk. Hashem is cleaning the excrement of his children, okay, of the children of Zion. Okay, I don't know if anybody's had the joy of experiencing this before, but if you have a young child, right, especially when they're not yet toiletries, right, and they're in their crib, and then you go in there, and they've been up for a little while, getting themselves very busy, okay? Every mother can tell you about one of these lovely experiences. They take off their diaper, and then they're painting the wall. It's like a mosh gross, okay? I don't know, whatever. Unfortunately, this is something that kids do, okay? And they get themselves disgusting and everything around and disgusting, right? And, you know, any sane human would walk in there and be like, I'm out of here, man. I am not doing this, okay? But 
you're looking over at your child, right? You don't want to keep your child dirty. Like, of course not. You, you mm -hmm. love, you know, as much as it's dis dis disturbing and it's gross, right? Yeah. But you know that you can't leave your child that way, okay? And so this is this is the way Hashem relates to us. He's relating us to, to us here as his children. He sees we've made a huge mess of ourselves, okay? And he, God, he's not going to leave us sitting in that, okay? He's going to come down here on his own, right? He himself, and he's going to do what he can to clean us up. Okay, but as again, I just to remind you, as we said, this is talking about a person who wants to be cleaned up. Most, most often children, you know, it might be cute in the beginning, but then they not, they're not happy anymore. They're not comfortable and they want to get cleaned up. They feel gross, right? They want to be clean. Hashem sees we want to really clean ourselves. We're sitting here in this mess. We want to be clean and he's coming down and he's helping us. Okay. Um, and so it says that Hashem throws upon us these purified waters. So God is being over Alpasha. Again, he's kind of um, passing over the negative thing that we've done and he's throwing cleansing water on us. What is this cleansing water? So the Shlach Kadosh says something very beautiful. He actually says that the detergent that, that uh, the Ramak is referring to here are the tears, okay, that a person sheds when they sincerely cry over the, the spiritual opportunities that they lost, okay? We have lost spiritual opportunities when we do things against God's will, okay? And the feelings of regret that we have, okay? That pain that we have, those tears that we shed, he said, that's the detergent that's gonna cleanse us. And he said, the Shlach said, you should rub those tears into your skin, okay? He said, that's something that's very, very cleansing. Um, Okay, so we have to be like this. We're trying to emulate God. This is how a person needs to be. You want me to get down and clean up with this person made a mess? Are you kidding me? He said, you, you can't say something like that. Because God himself, okay, when a person sins, God himself, um, not through a messenger, again, he comes down on his own. He comes and he fixes the, the, the corruption, okay, and he cleans up the excrement, right, the mess of the sins that we have made, okay? And so we see that sometimes in our relationship with other people, Someone is really struggling to change, right? I mean, we can see it with ourselves too, by the way. Anything we're talking about here vis-a-vis -vis our relationship with others, we also have to, you know, apply to our relationship with ourselves as well, okay? But certainly, we see sometimes somebody really wants to change, and they're really struggling. They can't do it on their own, okay? And so we need to at least, again, this is always our knee-jerk reaction. We want to try to help and participate. Okay, and see, what can I do to try to help this person? Okay, maybe they need chizok. Okay, maybe they need ideas. Maybe they need the number of a therapist. I don't know. People sometimes really need help. Maybe they need the number of the local AA group. Who knows? Okay, people need help sometimes. They just, I'm sure all of us have felt that way before. You know, imagine, okay, another wonderful experience, please God, as mothers, right? You walk into the playroom, right? And you see that the kid literally took out every single toy and all the boxes are dumped on the floor and there's just toys everywhere. Can anyone picture something like this happening? Okay, so forget about you as a mother, like, oh my God, you don't know what to do with yourself. But imagine this child, you're gonna go in there and say, okay, you have to clean up. And you're just looking around. 
and, and, and they like, they push through, they don't even know where to start. I mean, like, it's just beyond. I mean, you don't even know as an adult where to start, right? But imagine this kid, they, they just don't know what to do. So what do we do? Okay, we don't just lock them in the room and say, you, you're not coming out until you clean this up, even though we probably want to do that, okay? But that would probably be child abuse, right? We're not going to do that. What, what, what is a good mother? What is a good mechanechet going to do? They're going to sit on the floor and they're going to start putting things away. Okay, let's pick up all the red blocks and put them into the box. Help, you know, sometimes it's a matter of breaking things down, right? It's very overwhelming for all of us. Again, I'm giving you like a childish example, but think about it on, on, on a more mature level. Sometimes we feel so, so, so overwhelmed with things that are going on in our life. We don't even know where to start. And sometimes you just need someone to sit down with you and say, okay, wait, 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 let's break this down. Okay, you're talking about a lot of different things. Let's go back. Okay, let's see, what can we tackle first, right? Because when you're trying to do too many things, it's very, very overwhelming, okay? So sometimes that's just what we need to do, okay? And so, again, we spoke about last time when a Kodesh Baruch Hu sees how we are relating and helping others and working with others and trying to relate to others with compassion, he is going to do the same thing for us, okay? So, again, that's not why we do this, okay? In the end of the day, we're doing this because we want to emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but we have to understand that Hashem relates to us, again, in the way that we relate to others, okay? So at least it's somewhere to start for us, okay? Hashem, I want you to relate with me with, to, to me with Chesed, so I'm going to relate to others with Chesed, and hopefully that's just going to become your MO after a while, right? You might not be doing it Lishma in the beginning, but hopefully... As time goes on, this is going to just become part of your essence, part of who we are. Okay, so we, we, we need to not use the rationale of you made this mess, so now you have to deal with it and clean it up. No, I'm a balat chesed. I have rachmanut. I'm emulating Hashem. I'm going to sit down with you on the floor, and I'm going to help you do this. Okay, I'm going to daven for you, ladies. Sometimes we can't sit on the floor and help someone pick up the blocks. Sometimes we just have to daven for them. And that's also very helpful. We don't, don't underestimate the quack of tefillah, right? If somebody's really struggling and you pick up a tehillim, right? And you daven for them or you daven for them as you want to or whatever it is, that's a huge thing, okay? That's also a huge thing. It's another way that we can definitely help others as well, okay? Umikhan, hitbayesh ha'adam l'ashur l'chato shaharei ha'melech ba'atzmo rochit l'ichluch b'gadav. So now he brings up something very interesting. He's saying from here, we see that a person also needs to be ashamed. They need to, have, they need to feel a sense of, of busha, right? Of feeling humiliated or ashamed, okay? So let, let's call this uh, maybe spiritual recall, okay? Okay, I'm, not, I'm gonna use something that's not a sin, okay? Just a person's on a diet, right? And they are, they, they've, you know, two weeks, one week, two weeks, they're really doing well, right? And then they, and then they, then they just, fail. Like they have this epic fail day where they just like give into everything. Right. So fine. You get through that and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you get back on the horse and you start going and you have, you see this amazing piece of, I don't know, deliciousness that you just want to eat. Right. Sometimes you have to stop and say, wait a minute, I've worked so hard, right. To get to this point right now, do I really want to like have to start all over again? You don't want to have to feel like you need to start all over again. I've gotten so far. I don't want to fall back you know, and fall off the horse. So you keep yourself going. Sometimes that spiritual recall of how much effort you've put in and how difficult it is to start over again can be enough. Sometimes it's just that recall. And I'm going to use here a bit of a graphic example. Um, but let's say you have a guy in yeshiva, right? A guy in yeshiva, he's going out with his friends and he drinks too much and he's 
puking all over the place and they bring him back to his you know dorm room and he's just sick right he's sick and he's and he wakes up in the morning and who does he see he sees the Rosh Hashiva right in his room cleaning up his mess and changing his sheet right can you imagine how absolutely and completely mortified right this Bachar is going to be it's going to be a long time before he's going to go out and do that again Okay, most likely, because it's so embarrassing. This The Rosh Hashiva is here picking this up. like So it's an incredible thing that this concept of busha is being used specifically here. Because again, ladies, this is what we have to recall. God is coming down here. Picture us as that little baby in the crib making the mess. And God himself is coming down here to help clean up that mess. Okay, that is the mess. We don't, again, we don't smell it. And we don't sense it. In a, in a tangibly physical way, but that's actually what it is that we're doing. The spiritual pollution that we're bringing and the toxicity that we're bringing into our life when we're consistently going against the Ratzon Hashem is creating this tremendous, tremendous mess, okay? And so this spiritual recall, this shame that we feel can be very, very helpful to, to try to keep us on track, okay? Next, let's go on to the next Nida, Haravi'it, which is called L'Sha'irit Nachalatov. So technically, this is defined as the remnant of my of my people. Okay, she'er means remnant of my of my nachla, of my heritage. Okay, and so the truth is, Rav Matasiel Solomon said that this is actually the mida that um, he says is the source of the mitzvah of a Right, all of us have heard of that mitzvah before that we have to love someone, you know, our friends, others as ourselves. Um, and we have to realize that up to this point, the, the three first meter that we've been talking about, Mikel Kamocha, Yosei Avon, the Al Pesha. Okay, so these are, this is the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu interacts with us because we are the remnants of his treasure, of his nachla, of his heritage. Okay, and so he's relating to us with Rachman. From here on end, we're going deeper than that. Now we're talking about Hashem relating to us because of this deep feeling of love, of Ahava he has for us. Okay, so actually, you know what? I just realized I wanted to read something to you. Can I go back for a second? I'm sorry, I have this here and I forgot. Okay, this is uh, this is to end the last meeting that we spoke about. I just think it's cute. This is also from the Mishpacha magazine. I used to read it many years ago all the time since not been reading it much anymore but there was a woman named Esther Sender who used to have a little uh a little thing a article on the back of every of every um edition and it was very often very interesting she just I don't know the way she like brings a point across I always sound very interesting so I'm just going to read this to you okay she says you know the saying you can't tell a book by its cover well I say you can you uh can tell a food by the way it washes off in the sink the other day I used margarine for something for the first time in years, and I tried washing it off my hands afterwards. It took three, four, maybe six soap sessions. If that's what it takes to clean it off the hands, what's it doing to the body? The same is true with flour. Before Shabbos, I sometimes make three different kinds of challah. One for the whole wheat crew, another for the I don't touch whole wheat crew, and finally spelt for the sensitive crowd. White flour takes four to five times or maybe 10 times the amount of time to clean off the bowl than the whole wheat flour. And the whole wheat takes three times as long as the spelt. Spelt just disintegrates under the faucet water like sand. I think it works exactly the same with emotions. If I had to compare, I'd say margarines like anger. It blocks up the whole system. I was speaking with my mother yesterday about her famous baked onion soup rice. 
My mother's made it all these years with a whole stick of margarine. I make a rendition with canola oil. I've always wanted to write a recipe column. I call it in seven minutes or less. The first recipe would be this one. Ingredients, onion soup mix, margarine or oil and rice. Utensils, baking pan. Directions, mix two packets of onion soup mix, one stick of margarine and one and three quarter cups of water to one cup of rice. Mix in baking pan, cover, bake until water is absorbed. If you want to get a little fancy, add shiitake mushrooms. I've always wanted to share this, that recipe. Actually, once I shared a different or complicated recipe and that woman said it didn't work for her. She never behaved the same to me after that. I think she thinks I didn't really want her to have the recipe, so I changed something. It's not true. I'm happy if someone else cooks something good, but she's been kind of mad ever since. She's given me this kind of angry, distant greeting for 10 years. See what I mean about anger being like margarine? It sticks, clogs up the world. That woman's face has been stuck like that for 10 years. If it doesn't come off easily, it's not healthy. This we learn in the sink. Anger is a very dangerous ingredient. The other day I got angry about something and I'll tell the truth, it took up my entire being. I couldn't concentrate. I forgot to do a few things I needed to do. I was completely off balance. There are people who walk around angry every second of the day. It's really unhealthy. It means that they are really not here. The question is how to clean it. I think the first step is to recognize that it's not healthy and not allowed in our diet. Second step is to work out some system when it comes up. I remember hearing a story of a Ralph put on a special coat when he got angry to take himself out of the moment and give himself a chance to calm down. I know someone who was angry from something in their childhood. They spent almost their whole life in a kind of clogged fog, the anger coating all their actions like margarine. Then one day they spoke about it and someone gave them a clean perspective. It took a few washings, like three, four, maybe six, but it eventually came off. This I learned in the sink. I just found this very telling, right? We're talking about cleaning ourselves, okay? Realizing that the, the spiritual negativity that we engage ourselves in really does stick to us, right? It really clogs us up. It really leaves behind this negative residue that takes a long time to get rid of, okay? And when somebody is going through this process of tshuva me'ava, because they realize, oh, I don't want to be all margarine and clogged up, right? I want to be healthy. I want to do a little detox. Hashem is going to come in and he's going to, I don't know, spray some super soap on you, right? And get a nice good sponge and he's going to help you with the process, okay? So I don't know. I just wanted to kind of use that as a way to bring this all together. Okay, now we're going to, sorry, now we're going to go back to the next Nidah. Okay. So God behaves with the Jewish people as such. Omer. He says, what am I going to do with the Jewish people? What, what can I say? They're my relatives. They're my krovai. They're my krovim, right? They're my relatives. And we have to realize, right, we generally, most often people feel some like level of kinship to people who are their relatives, right? You're more apt to want to like help someone or take care of someone, right? If they're a relative of yours and if they're just some random person. And we should understand that when we're dealing with krovim, right, and we feel this sense of closeness to people in our life who are actually relatives of ours, that's really kind of a training ground, okay, for us to hopefully feel that way with every Jewish person. Because in, in reality, all the Jewish people are connected. We are all related. We all come from that same big soul um, up there. And so really, technically, we all come from the same place. So hopefully, okay, we can start off by definitely feeling more of a kinship to our relatives, but that should also bring us to somewhere a little bit more, you know, a little loftier. We're able to see all of the Jewish people in this category. Okay, so Hashem looks at us as his krovim, she'er basar, which technically means next of kin. So not only are we his remnants, I don't even know what that means really, okay, but he's looking, looking to us as his next of kin, right? Again, very close connection. Yeshli imahem, 
again, I have obligations of my own flesh with them. So there are actually three levels of relationship that are listed here. Okay, this is the first level of relationship, that relationship of a zug, of a couple. Okay, what's unique about a couple? Okay, what's unique about a couple is what? Anybody? That is true. Please, God, they are not related. <laughs> but what happens? Exactly. And what happens? What's what's unique about a couple, a relationship with a couple that does not happen with anyone else? Intimacy, which means what? We become one. Okay? You can become one. You're supposed to be right? That is what we're told, that we become one with our batzuk, right? With the couple. Okay? So that's obviously a very, very, like, intensive and deep relationship. And then there's a second level of relationship that he brings here. Vakorela Biti, my daughter, Achoti, my sister, Imi, my mother. Rebelson Heller actually says that these are all feminine, right? Feminine uh, relationships. My sister, my my uh, my daughter, my mother. Um, and in mysticism, okay, the, the concept of the feminine is the receiver. Okay, that's the that's the receiving energy versus the zahar, which is the the giving energy, the female, the feminine is considered to be the receiving energy. And I don't want to go into that right now, but it's not a weakness. It's a very, very, very big strength, suffice it to say. Okay, but in the end, Hashem is telling us, look, I'm one with you. Okay, and part of the relationship, how we become one is you also have to be in a space to receive from me. Okay, so that, that is part of this relationship. So that the biti, the achoti, the imi kind of represents this concept of we are here to become one with the Kaddish Baruch Hu by making ourselves kalim. We're making ourselves vessels to receive from him. Okay? Okay? It, it says that the Jewish people are God's amkrovo. They're close nation. Again, most people are very happy to admit that they are related to some like famous person, right? Some really cool, rich, I don't know, famous person. If you have some guy who's like on the front page of the Times because they just stole a lot of money from someone, most people aren't going to want to like connect themselves to that person, right? Or if somebody's like a poor schlepper, no one's getting up and saying, oh yeah, he's my relative, right? But a Kaddish Baruch Hu, even when the Jewish people were at their lowest in Mitzrayim, we were slaves, right? We, we were suffering, but Hashem, even in Mitzrayim, called us his children. He never was embarrassed of us. He was always willing to admit that relationship. Okay, so so this is the third level of relationship. The third level is my children. Okay, so we have this couple, we have this feminine, you know, sister, mother, daughter, and then we have this level of banim, okay, of children. Okay, we are again the remnants of his heritage. Uh, which is really even more than that. We are the next of kin. And we are really, we are, what does it mean to wear his heritage? We are, we are the ones who are keeping Hashem's honor alive in this world. That's what we're here to do. So Hashem says, okay, look, these people messed up. What are my options? Okay. If I choose to punish them, right? If I'm going to punish them, right? That's actually going to hurt me. Okay. When parents say that to their kids, I know kids roll their eyes and they don't really believe that. When the parents say this hurts you, me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Kids was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. But in reality, 
there is something truth to be said about that. And if we really understood the quote unquote pain that God had when he sees us sitting, actually the Masha, one of the Misham that I read is that, uh, you know, a father, let's say, okay, a father has his son who broke his leg, right? And the kid is really, he's in agony. He's, oh, it hurts so much, right? And he's crying, it hurts so much. And the father is in pain because he sees his son in pain. But that pain that he feels at that moment watching his son in pain is nothing compared to when he got that phone call that his son had an accident. And he didn't know, is my son alive, dead? That pain, no one should ever know from such a thing, okay? That pain is beyond, okay? And so yes, when he sees us having, when he has to pay, when he has to give us consequences and we're suffering because of those consequences, it's painful for him. Okay. But it's nothing compared to that moment when we first sin, because at that point, it's still unclear. Like, did we just do ourselves in like, what's going to be with these kids, right? What, what's going to happen? Okay. Once he decides and, and, and understood what the consequences will be. So then yes, he suffers. So the first thing God wants to do is not to punish us because again, the cave is on him also. He's also in pain. He doesn't want to do that to us. Now it's going to get a little mystical here, lady. So I will do my best to keep it as uh, unmystical as possible, but there's just so much I could do. Okay. Okay. So it says actually in the Pasuk, in all of their tsar, in all of their pain, I don't have pain, right? No, there's no pain. But it's one of those, what we call a kriyuktiv, right? Where it's written one way, but it's pronounced another way. I mean, now the word low and low, right? What are the two meanings of the word low? Right, you have low with an aleph and low with a vav, right? No, low yeah. means not. And low means to him, right? So if you're reading the parts of with an aleph, it seems like, oh, he doesn't have pain, right? Why is it written with an aleph? It's written with an aleph. Okay, what are the letters of the word aleph? Right? Aleph, okay? It's the same letters as the word pele. Okay? Which is, again, we're talking mysticism here. Okay? Pe, mamid, aleph. What is this pele? Pele is this, the uh, Pele Ha'elyon, this is the level of Keta, right? You've all heard of the spherot, right? Through which God relates to the world, okay? So he's saying that when we are in pain, the fact that it says Lodzar with an Aleph is pointing to the fact, not that he doesn't have pain, but it pains him to the, the, the highest point of possible of how much pain he could possibly have, okay? That pain extends to the level of Keta, okay? V'chol shechein ledu partsufen. Okay, which is another mystical term referring to the, the midot of Malchut and Tiferet. Okay, which again, these are the ways that Hashem relates to us in this world. These are two more of the spirit. Basically saying again, just to make it on a simple level, that this is how deeply it pains Hashem when we are suffering. Okay? So really, when we read, it's written with an aleph, but we pronounce it, so to speak, with the vav. So when we say, it means when we have pain, who has pain? Hashem has pain, okay? And the only reason it's written with an aleph is to teach us in a mystical level, the level, the extent, okay, of the pain that God feels when we are struggling, yes. So you said that the, um, you said the connected to the letters of Torah. 
Yes, Aleph, the word Aleph. Yeah, okay, if you spell out the word Aleph, it's the same letters as the word Tele. Okay, that's why it's written with an Aleph. Right, but then how does that, sorry, how does that come to the Sufi writing? Well, because Tele refers to the level of Keta, the sphere of okay. Keta, okay, which is like the highest of the spherals, okay? Um, okay, Uchtiv, a tiksar nafshol ba'ama Yisrael. Okay, so Hashem's soul is impatient with the toiling of the Jewish people. Because he can't bear our pain and our disgrace. Why? Because again, we are his next of kin, right? We are so close to him. It's very hard for him to watch what's going on with us. You know, what's happening with us is very contrary to what God had in mind. This is not the way, this isn't what he signed up for, so to speak. This isn't what he quite had in mind. Okay, because we have to realize when it says, when God blew a piece of himself into us, there's literally a piece of God inside every single one of us. Okay, and when Hashem sees us, I think that's probably why for a parent on some level, it's very difficult for them to watch their child struggling because they see themselves in their child, right? It's very difficult to watch that. It's not some random stranger. It's a piece of me that is also suffering right now, right? And I've invested so much in this child. So I feel myself suffering, right? Along with that child. So that's why Kodesh Baruch Hu, that he sees the essence of himself in this person who's suffering so much. Okay, how could he not feel compassion for such a person? Of course, God is going to feel compassion in a situation like that. Again, compassion doesn't mean that I don't give you the consequences. What do they say? It says, right, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? We know that. That's like a very famous idea. It's not doing any good for a child to not have them have any consequences. They need structure. They need consequences. But nonetheless, what a parent says, Annette, really, really, this hurts me more than it hurts you. It's true. There's truth to that. They don't want, if you think I want to have to punish you, I really don't. I'd rather take you out for ice cream right now. I don't want it. I don't want you to have to, you know, sit in your room, you know, and not be able to leave. Okay. Because you messed up. God forbid. So Yitzchak Kersner, I think I've mentioned to you, I, I learned a lot about this over from him. Is that so? So he's, he just said it in such a beautiful way. I'm just going to quote you what he said, because I think it's so, I, I don't know. I can't say it like this. He said, his nerve endings, meaning Hashem's nerve endings, are the condition of our souls, okay? God's nerve endings are the condition of our souls, okay? So, of course, he's going to feel when we're in pain because the condition of what we're going through is our, that, that's his nerve endings. Again, God doesn't have nerve endings and all that stuff. You know that. But we're talking here, you know, in an anthropomorphistic way, you know, that so we can better understand this, okay? So, yes. God is it's very difficult for him to have to give us a punishment. So too, should it be with a person when it comes to their interacting with their, with their friends, with others. Okay, all of the Jewish people are sort of next of kin, right? We're all related one to the other. Why? Because all of our neshamot are really included together. Right, each person has a piece of another person inside of their soul. Therefore, you can't compare many who do a mitzvah to a few people who do a mitzvah. Okay, he's using this word. He's using this word okay that feeling of cloud like we say cloud right a feeling of togetherness a feeling of congregation of 
you know, we're all sort of connected one to the other. What does this actually really mean? Okay, so first of all, did you ever think about the fact when you're standing in shawl on your port, right? And you're sitting here saying that you do it, right? How do we say it? Is it in singular or is it in plural? Right? We're saying Asham no, Bagad no, Gazan We're talking about all of us together, right? Chatanu, right? Achit, whatever, Shachatanu Lifanecha, right? We're not speaking as an individual. We're speaking as a cloud. Isn't that fascinating? You would think here we are, davening before Hashem, and we're, we're all davening in, in, in Rabin, right? We're davening in plural. Why is that? Okay. Why is that? Why do you think? What is that supposed to teach me? Right. And, and, and exactly. I am not living in a vacuum. Okay. I, what I do directly impacts what, what happens in your life, what happens in your life, what happens in your We're not living in a vacuum. We're all connected to each other. Okay. It's a very anti, the antithetical really to like the, the I think the, the perspective that's out there where sort of every man is for himself, you know, in the world at large, you know, and it's all about me. Live and let live, right? The whole idea of live and let live, ladies, is not a Jewish concept. I'm sorry to say. Not that we be have not that we should be annoying and not that we should nag people, right? And we have to be very smart about how we go about it. But the concept of live and let live is not a Jewish concept at all. Okay, because I understand that what I do directly impacts you and what you do directly impacts me. And I can't just say, leave me alone, let me do whatever I want because that's not the way it works at all. Okay, so that's something that's very important to understand when we're doing the alches in plural, we're really acknowledging the fact that I understand that what I'm doing, okay, is bringing a spiritual like urida, it's bringing a spiritual like degradation into the world that's actually impacting everybody. It's not just impacting me. Okay, and that's extremely important. Another way of looking at this, um, again, a, a muscle that I read in one of the commentaries. So this Robert Lando actually brings down uh, an interesting example. He gives a mashal. He's like, imagine, you know, okay, Julia's getting married, right? And so um, everybody in your building, right? Instead of just each person giving you a present, a wedding present on their own, right? What happens? You whole all the build, the whole building gets together, all your neighbors and everybody pools their money together and they buy you like a really nice gift and they all write from your building, right? Everybody's doing it together versus, okay. Um, I know we used to do this, but we used to make bridal showers, like not Israel, nobody in Israel makes bridal showers in America where they actually make bridal showers, where people actually get useful things when they get married, not just tickles. Um, so, so I remember like what we would do is like, we would write, a, a, you know, we would make phone calls, whatever, this is the days before WhatsApp. So Life was much more complicated, but somehow we would get the message out that we wanted to pull everybody right. Everybody can donate. And again, we're talking to relatives, friends, people who have nothing really to do with each other, other than the fact that they all know the Kala, right? Everybody should donate whatever it is, $20. And then we're going to pull it together and buy a bunch of stuff. And then everybody who donated, right? Everybody who contributed is going to have their name written down on the card. Do you see any difference between those two scenarios? Right, as like the Kala getting the gift, right, from the building where everybody you know and all has what to do with each other, right, together is pooling their resources to get you something versus a bunch of random people, you know, who happen to have their name on a card. They're both very nice. I'm not saying anything against it, but what's the difference between the two? Because it belongs to the building, right? Like everyone's just like, yeah, it's like this whole like group, the kids, it's a belonging of like unity as opposed to like 
just being out there and I don't know. Right, a bunch of being, yeah. you have individuals who are contributing as a group together, right? Because they all have what to do with each other and they're giving together as a group versus a bunch of individuals just giving a gift. It's a very, very different feeling. Okay, so too, again, with the concept of Klalut, of Klai Yisrael, is that we might all be individuals, right? We all have separate bodies, we're all separate people, but we understand that we're all part of the same, we all live in the building together, we're all neighbors, right? We all have what to do with each other, we're all part of the group, and we're all contributing to this, to this cause together. Okay, it's a bit of, it's a very, it's a, it's a different, has a different flavor, okay? I'm not just an individual. And you should know that as Jewish people, we're constantly trying to like reconcile these two sides of the fence, right? The individuality versus the feeling as being part of a group. And please God, when you get married, it's also very similar, right? You're, you're reconciling the, I'm an individual versus now I'm a unit. What, what, what do you mean? How can I be both? How can I be an individual and part of the unit? Okay, so that's what this concept of Klalutam is really talking about, okay? And by the way, that's also why, like on Shabbat, right? If, I don't know, my husband's very good at this mitzvah, because he'll just make Kiddush as many times as possible after he can punch his ear. But, you know, he, um, you know, Klalut, the, the Klalut that we're talking about here is, if I, if you need Kiddush, I'm happy to make Kiddush for you, even though I make Kiddush already, it's all good, right? Because if somebody else needs me to make Kiddush for them, because we are, part of the same klal, I'm happy to, to do that for you, right? So we have an obligation and we have an opportunity sometimes to, to do things like that for others. Because again, when I have another member of Klai Yisrael who didn't hear Kiddush, I don't just say, oh, stinks to be her. Oh, well, too bad for her. No, if she's going to now sit down and eat without having her Kiddush, again, that negatively impacts me as well. And so I have the ability and the opportunity to, to come together and to take responsibility uh, also for her. Okay. Okay. So again, this gets a little complicated. The truth is, I don't, I can read it inside, but really what he's, he's talking about here in the next like line or two, anybody ever heard the, uh, this idea of the Asarari Shonim when it comes to um, going to Minyan? There's something very special to be one of the first 10. Okay. One of the first 10 people to come, to come to a Minyan. Okay. And the idea that he's breaking down here again, it's very spiritual and mystical is that every person kind of encompasses or represents 10. And so the first 10 people kind of encompass 100 people because it's 10 times 10, which is 100. So these first 10 people, by the way, are the people that are bringing the Shlina down, right? Because that's the, the point of the group. The point of davening with a minion is that as a, as a minion together, we're bringing the Shlina down into this space. So that's accomplished by the first 10, even if, even if another 100 people show up. But the first 10 are the ones that actually brought that down. So they actually get schar, they get reward for every additional person who comes to shul, okay, versus the people who come after that, they get schar for themselves, but they don't get schar residually for everybody else. Again, he's using this as another example of this klalutam, of how this, we're all kind of connected and, and intertwined with each other, okay, so I don't really want to get bogged down by that, so that's like the next, like, two lines, um, so... So we'll go to where it says, So because of this, the Jewish people are, again, responsible, connected one to the other. Because each one of us has a piece, almost like of the limb of another, of, of another person. Okay? When one person sins, he's hurting himself. And he's also hurting the piece of the Jew, of the other Jew that's inside of him. 
the Medjish Rabbah actually brings down this mashal of like a seh, of a lamb, okay? Lambs, I guess, are, sheep are very um, fragile, okay? And if you, I'm not suggesting that you do this, okay? But if you were going to smack a sheep, right, on part of its body, its whole body reverberates from it. Its whole body feels it. And he's telling us that that's the same with the Jewish people. Believe it or not, we all feel each other, okay? We feel each other very, very deeply. You know, the famous mashal of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, right, of sitting on a boat, right? And, uh, and you have a man who's making a hole under his seat, right? And everyone's like, yo, man, what are you doing? You're making a hole. And he's like, what do you mean? It's my seat. Leave me alone. I can do whatever I want, right? And we all understand that that's studio, right? If he's making a hole under his boat, the whole boat's going to sink and everybody's going to go down with him. Okay, so look, to be honest, I think for the most part, I think uh, it generally comes out when there's difficulties in the Jewish people, right? Once, God forbid, there's tragedy, you see how all the Jewish people come together, right? And they're there for each other and everybody wants to contribute and everybody wants to give. There is a very deep sense of feeling. Like, if when you hear of an accident, the first thing you want to know, are they Jewish, right? Why do we want to know that? It's so silly. Like, they're a person got, there's just something about if it's a Jew, we just like our heart, our heart breaks even more than if it's, than if it's not a Jew. Okay, right or wrong? It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just the way it is. We feel very deeply connected to each other in that way. Okay, and so. Um, okay, so we feel again, this, you know, every Jew is like a guarantor for that portion of himself and his friends. Again, they are connected one with the other. So there's, a, I'm just going to read to you this little paragraph. I actually got this really cute book um, from Rabbi David Aaron. I don't know if anybody's read his stuff. It's really nice stuff. Um, it's called Inviting God In. So just a little paragraph that I thought was really nice. So he says, we experience intrinsic connection with people almost daily. For example, at those times when we show kindness to another person, the amount of connection we feel with that person may far surpass our good deed. Similarly, when we meet our soulmate, we may feel as if we have known him or her for many years. The reason for these feelings of connectedness is that we are not only one with God, but we are all one with each other. We just do not know we are one. Our challenge is to make the right choices and behave in ways that will reveal the oneness that we already existentially share. Okay, so I don't know. I think that's a very interesting like exercise, right, for us to try to think about, especially at this time of year, right? What can I do? to help me feel more connected to, to, to the other, right? To the other Jewish people, okay? And the truth is I think even standing in shul and really focusing on the fact that when I'm saying vidui, I'm saying it barabim, like because we're all really here for each other. I think that can be very powerful. That's just one thing, but you know, I see, again, he's talking in general, just the way we interact in our daily life should reflect this reality. Okay, ulakach, so therefore, ra'ui, La Adam, we're back to this word Adam. If you remember, we said this word Adam way back in the beginning. Why did he bring down this word Adam? Just to remember, what does the word Adam symbolize to us? Two different components of, of, of who we are. One at a time. I Adam, right? Adamela Elion, right? There's a part of me that can um, emulate my creator, that I'm similar to my creator, right? It's a very lofty piece of me. And what's the other? Physical, Adama, right? So I can, these are the choices that I can make, ladies, right? I can make that choice to connect to that physical part of me that just kind of weighs me down, or I can make that choice to connect to that part of godliness that's inside of me that will hopefully bring me up. So that's my choice, okay? And then he brings here a whole list of stuff here. 
And so again, the, the minimum requirement for a person to be called Adam, okay, is that he needs to emulate Hashem with his ways. That's what an Adam really is. If we really want to, if we really want to live up to that name Adam, that's what we need to do. And that's what he's going to bring here now, some of the things that we can do to emulate Hashem. Okay, and also one of the uh, commentaries in, in this version that I have here just stresses, which I think is extremely important, that even if you don't have a feeling of hishtadfut, right, of, of, of partnership, of connection to people around you, sometimes you just don't, right? What we say, what Shabbat was saying, sometimes, especially women at certain times of the month, we're just like, I hate everyone, right? I feel no connection to anyone. I just want to like be whatever. Um, but even sometimes when it's not that, it's just, you know, sometimes we just feel that way. Like, I don't want to be connected to anyone. I just, you know, leave me alone. He's saying, even if we feel that way, but a person, a person should still do the best that they can to do good things to their friends. You're right. Okay. A person should still try to find opportunities to do good for others, even if I'm not feeling it. And that doesn't mean I'm a hypocrite. Okay, there's a very, very strong principle that we understand that we learn from the Sefer HaChinuch, that Adam pa'ul kefi pu'ato, a person is drawn after their actions. Okay, so if I'm looking for opportunities to do good to others, even if I'm not feeling it, but I know that this is going to help me feel more connected to the people around me, okay, and to, and to humankind, to people in general, then that's, then that's what I should be doing. Okay, that's part of the calling here. Okay, number one, to want the good to happen to another person, not to just be happy when something good happens to them, but to want good to happen to somebody else. You understand? It's more than that. It's more than just being happy for someone. I dive in that good things should happen for them. Number two, right? This is, I think, in Yiddish, what we call tefagin. I think it might even be in, in Hebrew at this point. I don't know. I feel like I've heard my kids say it. Did they use it in, in Hebrew at all? I think tefagin. Do you ever use that yes. word like to, to want like to be happy for someone or to have like an idol? Lifargain, lifargain, right? Lifargain, right? It means what? It means that how do you how would you translate that? To be happy for them, to have an ayin tova, like to, even if you missed out on something, right? Even if you lost out, the fargain means I'm happy for them, right? I don't I don't wish them bad in any way. Your honor that you being treated properly should be just as important to me as me being treated properly. Why? Because you are me, right? We are connected. We are the same. We're, we're totally part of the same big neshama in the sky, right? We all come from Adam Arisha, where it says, that, I mean, again, that from a mystical place, you know, from the, a place of Kabbalah, that we all come from, from some limb of Adam Arisha. Some come from his eyes, some come from his toes, some come from his stomach. I don't know. All of us come from Adam Arisha, whatever that means exactly. Okay, but we all come from the same place. Um, and so again, I can't have two standards, one for you and one for me. I have to have one standard. The way I want to be treated is the way I'm going to treat you. Okay, now again, this is one of those word, those terms, right? This again that we throw around. Okay, again, what is this actually? What are we talking about here? So the truth is, I thought this was very interesting. Um, the Rebbe of Kasab actually says that he brings it down. It says in the Marin that the Torah warns us we have to why? Because even though before the neshamot come down to this earth, right, and all the neshamot are up to up there together, uh, it's very clear that we all come from the same place, right? So I don't need anyone to say they have to because 
duh, right? As we say, like, of course, there's nothing to talk about. It's only when God sends us down into this world. What's the challenge of this world? Down here, we all look like we're separate entities, right? Everybody looks separate. So now we have to be told it's like a reminder to us. Remember, you have to learn kamocha. Don't forget, you all come from the same place. I know it looks like you don't, right? And you can get very confused and distracted, but don't let that happen to you. Okay, he's warning us. The neshamot will love each other even when they're in the body. Okay, that's the goal. Bezrat Hashem. That's the have to kamocha. Okay. Right? And we should want for the well-being of our friend. And we should never speak badly against a person at all. Not only do I not speak badly, but I don't want to hear other people speaking badly, right? I don't want to hear you speaking negatively about someone either, right? And I'm going to stand up for my friend if I hear them being speak, spoken to in the wrong way, okay? Um, right? And again, I don't want anything negative to happen to this person. I don't want any genuts, right? Any negativity to happen or any evil to come onto this person. Just like Hashem doesn't want anything bad to happen to us either. Why? Because he's close to us. He loves us. So too, you do not want anything to happen to your friend. Just like nothing bad should happen to you, nothing bad should happen to your friend. Okay, we don't want him to have any pain. Okay, again, we shouldn't be happy when someone, you know, has, you know, falls, right? When someone like, you know, was up here, like sometimes we sort of feel good about that. Like they got what they deserved, right? You see what happens when you're so egotistical and then you see how far you fall, right? We sort of feel good about that, okay? No, we don't want to see our friends in a, in a situation like that at all. Not even our friend, just another person. Okay, and this teaches us a very, very important mida. Okay, the mida of to be no say ba'ol chavero. Anybody know what that mida is? Right, carry the the burden of your friend. To be no say ba'ol im chavero. Sorry, to carry the burden with your friend. Okay, this actually doesn't only refer to bad things or difficult things. Okay, bad things and difficult things. The truth is, again, from some of the mafarshim, um, from the commentaries that I'm reading here, uh, and and I think it's very true. It's easier for us to feel someone else's pain. It's harder to feel someone else's joy. You know what I mean? Like I feel like. When somebody's like, we all feel like it's cool. I don't know. We want to be part of the action. Class of Shalom, somebody, there's a tragedy that happens. Everybody wants to bring a meal. Everybody wants to help. Everybody's calling, right? Everybody wants to be participate in that, you know? And I remember this happened. My brother, I, I don't know, some of you might know, many, many years ago, before Tisha B'Av, he was actually shot, okay, on Shabbos afternoon, Shabbos morning. Anyway, it was a crazy story. Baruch Hashem, he's fine but it was not so pashut that then, okay? So this was in Farakoi, in the close to the community that we lived in, it was like, everyone was freaking out, right? And my sister-in-law was getting phone calls from this one, everybody was calling me, everybody wants to help, you know? And I seriously just remember thinking to myself, like, how have I that we should all be here for each other, right? When there's not a tragedy, right? Can you imagine if someone would just call you up and be like, hey, I'm running to the supermarket, can I buy something for you, right? 
uh, I know you're home with your five little children and you have no way to get out. Can I buy you some milk? Right. I said, wouldn't it be so nice if we were able to get each other to get, to get together and help each other and think about each other when things aren't necessarily difficult, but even more so Bezrat Hashem when you make a simcha. Okay. I can tell you Baruch Hashem from my own personal experience for making a simcha. You don't realize you really notice when people come and you really notice when people don't come. You really realize, you really see, and it means a lot. It really means a lot when people come to your simcha. So, you know, we, we, we kvetch, myself included, and this is something I know I have to work on. You know, this person's getting married in like Netanya somewhere, and you're just like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, why did I think married so far away? But if Lo Alina, they were sitting Shiva in Netanya, like you wouldn't think twice. You'd get in your car and you'd go, you know? But if it's a simcha, we're just like, oh, in the clock, like I'm not going that far, you know? So to be able to get ourselves to a space where we're able to really be the sameach with someone and to feel another person's pain, it's a huge thing. It's actually a, a story that was told of a man who would, uh, every time he would go to uh, pay a shiva call, right? He would visit an avel, somebody who was an avelut. He would go without shoes on because, I mean, nowadays we have synthetic shoes. But in the old days, when they only had leather shoes, right, people who were in avelut didn't wear shoes. So this guy, out of a sense of, like, you know, camaraderie and no seba olim chavero, I feel your pain. He would go and visit them without shoes on. And it ended up that he passed away on Tisha B'Av. His was on Tisha B'Av when nobody wears shoes, right? And Akadosh Baruch was saying, you know what? Shkoyach, like you did, you did a good thing. Like what you did was really special. Shevet Levi was also, Shevet Levi did not um, experience the suffering of the Jews in Mitzrayim, right? They had their own place and they didn't experience the, the subjugation, why? Because they felt it so deeply. They didn't even have to go through that themselves. They were so in pain over what their brethren were going through. Okay, so there's this concept, again, of feeling that pain and understanding that. Okay, and so the question is really, and we'll end with this, how do we do this? Okay, this isn't so easy. And so first of all, when we make our goals spiritual goals, it makes it much more doable. When we talk about having very material goals, that's when all of the physicality comes in. All of those like having um, competition, right? And feeling like jealousy and all of those things come to play when my goals are physical and material. But when I have spiritual goals, it's easier for me to connect to that, which is much more lofty. Okay. And I'm not going to get sucked in, you know, to, to the things that divide us as I'm going to get more connected to the things that really bring us together. Okay. As I said before, the concept of live and let live is not a Jewish concept at all. I need to feel responsible for the people around me. Okay. The truth is I used to live in, when we lived in, in New York, we used to live next to a reform temple. And we would see people driving in and out of the parking lot. They would be making weddings on Shabbos and everything. And like, I noticed it, but like, sometimes I would feel bad that I wasn't feeling worse about it. It was more cool. Like, oh, look at the, look at the Kala, like who's at the wedding. It was like fun to watch, but like rea realistically, it should have been like, I should have been in so much pain that this is what was going on. Okay, so we need to feel that sense. And I'm just going to give you the final uh, mashal that I think really brings this home. Of course, there's a actually gave this mashal. And he said, you know, imagine you have a family who got together and they're making a, an anniversary party, like a 60 year anniversary party for their parents, right? And all the siblings have a job, right? You're taking, they're going on a destination, you have to care of tickets and you're taking care of the food and you're taking care of the guest list and everybody has a job. And one of the brothers decides, like, I'm going to Tahiti. Bye. I'm out. Peace out. Okay. And the other siblings are like, wait, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? Like, you have a job to do. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean? Leave me alone. Like, you take care of your job. Don't worry about me. Okay. Like, leave me alone. So clearly, that's a, a fallacious, you know, way of thinking. Why? Because he has a responsibility. He has a job to do. If he doesn't do it, 
a whole part of this simcha is not going to come together. Okay, we can't just renege on our achrayot, right, on our responsibility as a member of a family. Okay, and so I think that that's really how we can understand the whole idea. And this is uh, this is what we're going through really on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur because we're being judged as individuals. But we're also being judged as a flock. We're being judged as a group, right? Each member of the flock is coming before the shepherd, right, to be judged. But we're also being judged as a whole because we have to be the best version of ourselves. We are. We have each one of us has a responsibility to be the best individual that we can possibly be, but not for selfish reasons. And this works in a marriage too. I have to be the best person of my, the best version of myself and the best person I can be. Why? Not because for selfish reasons, so everybody could be, oh, look how great she is, she's so awesome. No, it's not because of that. It's because I know that if I'm not the best version of me, then I am not gonna be able to be the most um, productive contribution to the greater good, right, to the greater whole. Whether it's, again, as an individual getting married, if I'm a mess, my family is gonna be a mess. How am I gonna be a mom? How am I gonna be a wife, right? And if, as a member of Klai Yisrael, I wake up and say, I don't feel like doing what God put me on this earth to do. The whole Jewish people is relying on you, 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 right? All of us, when Hashem wakes us up every morning, we say, it's with the clarity that I am here for a reason. God woke me up this morning because he has a mission for me. And if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. That's a very big responsibility. So we can't just take a vacation. We can't just say, well, I don't care. I don't I need to do this because I am responsible to step up to the plate so that all of Klai Yisrael can work together to do what we need to do. Okay, so Mizrat Hashem, you know, Hasachar <laughs> I wish you all had Hasachar. Mizrat Hashem.